Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're probably the same. I do everything to avoid awkward situations. You know, those situations that are really embarrassing. And you may have not done anything wrong, but you still feel like saying, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Probably most of you have seen this video that we're going to just watch, because I think this is like one of the most awkward situations. This guy uh, is being interviewed. He's an expert uh, on, uh, I would think, Asian uh, politics. And uh, he's being interviewed by the BBC, and um, it gets really awkward really fast, so let's just take a quick look. It's a party festi- it's a party atmosphere. 
Somebody's been healed. This is awesome. And Peter and John are like giving all kinds of people looking at them and they're feeling good too. It's a party atmosphere. There's a celebration. It's positive. It's all good. But Peter and John have a decision to make. They can allow the party to continue or they can get awkward. And they chose to get awkward. They chose to make it an awkward situation. Because there was a much greater good that could come than even the lame man being healed. There was potential for something incredible to happen. And so instead of just soaking in the glory of this miracle, this is how it plays out. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Father, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up. God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago, through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who had spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. You see, it didn't have to be that awkward, did it? There's nothing like confronting people about their sin to suck the air out of a room. <laughs> That's awkward. Let's look a little more closely. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. 
You see, Peter could have emphasized the positive and kept everybody happy. Not to mention keeping themselves in the limelight. Because like right now, they're looking pretty. They're looking very much like they had accomplished something amazing. They could have done that. But we continue. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. Though he decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but, raised, but God raised him from the dead. Peter could have let bygones be bygones. <laughs> I mean, when we're trying to avoid awkward situations, isn't that we kind of, kind of brush things underneath the rug? He could have done that. But boy, you, you, you ask for him to be crucified, and you can't blame the Romans. No, 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 no. Uh, I know you like to do that. You can't blame the Romans. Pilate wanted to release him. You, you, can't, you can't blame the religious leaders even, because you, you asked for a prisoner to be released, a murderer. You are complicit. You have done something wrong. You've killed the author of life. He clearly identifies the great injustice that was done and the sin committed by Israel as a whole. Then we continue. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter sets the record straight. He says, this wasn't us. This was done in the name of Jesus, the one you crucified. <laughs> The one who suffered injustice at your hands. That's why this guy is jumping and praising God. Jesus did it. You killed him. And so Peter, awkwardly, sets the record straight. And the healing is proof of who Jesus was. And then, he says, repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Instead of letting the onlookers off the hook, see just above there in the very faint, you can see, I know that you acted in ignorance. Ignorance isn't an excuse. You still need to repent for your sin. Could have said, oh man, we all make mistakes. Hey, let's celebrate. This guy was just healed. Woo, party on. No, he said, I know you did this in ignorance, but you still did something horrible. And you need to repent of it. He's like a dog on a bone. He's not letting these guys off the hook. 
Repentance is required. And then I'll just read this last section again. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Everyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the people, sorry, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, though your offspring, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter embraced the awkwardness of the moment for a much greater good. And that greater good was an act of grace. It was an offer of forgiveness. If it was me, I hate to tell you, these slime balls just persecuted and crucified my Jesus. I would have browbeaten them to death. I wouldn't have let them off the hook either. But I would never have extended grace to them. I would be so angry. I hate to admit it. <laughs> How would you be in that instance? We're appalled by injustice, outraged. And instead of letting God take over that situation and turn it, turn godly sorrow into repentance, we just keep twisting the knife. <laughs> you blew it. And somehow we get satisfaction from it. But Peter, a close friend of Jesus, extends grace to these folks. And he affirms that they can be forgiven and that God loves them. And this is all part of the plan. Because it was part of the plan doesn't negate the fact that they have to repent. <laughs> We're always looking for reasons to get off that piece. <laughs> they still have to repent because they did something willingly, knowingly, evil. But he extends grace to them. There's a lesson in this for us today. The gospel is awkward. We like to emphasize the positive. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. God will forgive you. We can emphasize the positive. But the gospel is awkward. It requires us to take responsibility for our sin. It is good news. But repentance comes before salvation. We have to take responsibility for our sin, which is something that we are not naturally inclined to do, quite frankly. 
And we have to ask for forgiveness, which is another thing that we don't like doing. We quite like the idea of being on good terms with God and, and knowing His acceptance and knowing His love and what He's done for us, but not so excited about the fact that we are sinners and need a Savior. We need to be forgiving. We crucified Jesus. The great pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke against a distortion of the gospel that avoids the awkward issue of sin. You call it cheap grace. Bonhoeffer said this, the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. The gospel is awkward, and we need to confront our complicity. We need to confront our sinfulness in order to receive that forgiveness. But we like to emphasize the positive. Peter and John could have done that. They could have just sort of, you know, it's a new era. God is here to bless us. We can all be blessed. This is just one sign. He's, this guy has been... Uh, has been uh, healed of his disease. He can run, he can walk. He's with us now. This is a new age. We could have, they could have done that. But they knew that they couldn't do that and, and honor what we've honored this morning. Grace is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. This issue of cheap grace is something that we, we need to look at just a little bit a little bit more. And, and, and it has to do with this idea of not being inclined to address sin in our lives, but to accept the benefit of what Christ has done for us without accepting the responsibility of it. And, and and it's this issue that could be put in this way. We like the idea that Jesus is our Savior, but we struggle a whole lot with Him being our Lord. We like the saving part, but to have Him on the throne of our hearts is awkward. Because it requires so much of us it requires us to, as the Spirit brings to mind the things that need to be changed and transformed, the sin that needs to be addressed in our lives. I just like being saved. I like having a Savior. This Lordship thing is a bit, a bit tough. And yet, if you go to Got Questions, a great website if you have questions. They say this, the New Testament uses the word of, uh, for Lord 748 times, and 667 of those is used in reference to God or Jesus. In contrast, did you know 
The New Testament uses the word for Savior 24 times. Isn't that amazing? 748 compared to 24. It seems clear that the emphasis in the New Testament is on Jesus Christ as Lord, not as Savior. Now, in saying that, it's you, know, you always have to be careful. Hear what I'm not. Hear what I am saying, not what I'm not saying. Now, in saying that, it is not meant to downplay or denigrate the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What a glorious and gracious provision God has made for His people in providing Jesus Christ as our atoning sacrifice who thereby guarantees salvation and eternal life for those who believe in Him. Jesus Christ is most certainly our Savior. But this cannot be separated from the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as Lord, He commands that we obey. And when we are called to obey, it's usually obedience to His call to holiness. His call to address the sin in our life instead of just keeping it all positive and happy and loving. And this leads my thoughts to one other thing. There's the issue of cheap grace where we cheapen the cross and just accept Jesus Christ is our Savior without the responsibility of allowing Him to be the Lord of our lives and to address the issues in our lives. In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addressed the Corinthians as Christians. Hear that because it's really important. The Apostle Paul was writing to Christians, but he distinguished one from the other. He made a distinction within Christians. He said there's carnal Christians and there are spiritual Christians. And it all comes down to this lordship thing. It all comes down to this dealing with sin in our life, allowing him to be on the throne of our life. There's carnal Christians and there are spiritual Christians. And so he addresses them as Christians, but he's saying there's a difference. So what is the difference between these? Well, we can turn to uh, a godly man, Walkman Mee, who was a Chinese pastor and a martyr. Um, and, and, and he talked extensively and wrote extensively about this issue of sin. This awkward issue of sin. And he said this. Though all Christians possess a regenerated spirit, not all Christians are spiritual. Many are still fleshly. Their carnal mind is still full of wandering thoughts, reasons, and plans. Their emotion runs wild with many carnal interests, desires, and tendencies. And their, for, uh, and their will formulates many worldly judgments, arguments, and opinions. They're so occupied in, in following the flesh that they have neither time nor inclination to listen to the voice of intuition. Since the voice of the Spirit is usually very soft, it cannot be heard unless it's listened to attentively with everything else quieted. Another pastor, a great 
Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor, A.W. Tozer, said this, If I see aright, the cross of popular evangelicalism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a new bright ornament upon the bosom of a self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross, listen to this, the old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned. The new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. And Tozer, like Watchman Nee, had this great concern for Christians who were willing to allow Christ's salvation, but didn't want him to be the Lord of their life. And so the cross was this beautiful, shining ornament that gave new life and gave them forgiveness and brought them into right relationship with God and, and assured their future. But don't talk to me about sin. Don't talk to me about reforming my life. Uh, don't talk to me about uh, becoming like Christ. And so the cross loses its power. And that's what Tozer said. Piper says this, the difference between spiritual Christian, the spiritual Christian, and the carnal Christian is one of degree. Becoming spiritual or mature is a gradual process in which the enthroned Christ subdues more and more of our remaining corruption, and we become more and more in tune with the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit pervades more and more of our lives, and the old sins lose more and more of their hold. This comes to pass as we trust Christ more and more fully as the all-satisfying friend and guide of our daily lives. You see, in order for Peter and John to be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had to make things awkward. They had to confront the crowd's sin. They could have cheapened the grace of God. They could have lowered the cost of discipleship by skipping that part and, and emphasizing the goodness of God. But they didn't, and we should not either. You may have never actually responded to the gospel call by accepting your sinfulness and need for a savior. You cannot be a true disciple of Jesus Christ without accepting the awkward truth that you are a sinner who needs savior. Or you may be a carnal Christian You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, you've confessed your sin and, and been forgiven, but, but you don't want to go any further than that. To make Christ Lord of your life, to allow Him to convict you of your sin and to obey Him in everything, sounds a bit fanatical, seems a little over the top. And so, you want Jesus to be your Savior but not your Lord. And so you're basically 
using Christ as a life insurance policy and ignoring him for the rest of your life. Peter and John could have kept it light, could have kept it happy, but they chose to make it awkward because the gospel is awkward and it is unapologetically so. The gospel is this. We've rejected God. We've sinned against God. We don't accept His authority in our life. We are at odds with God. The Bible says we're actually enemies of God. And Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, before the creation of the world decided this is what's going to happen and we're going to make a plan to bring back those folks, to give them an opportunity to overcome their sinfulness, to forgive them, but it's going to cost something. It's going to cost Jesus Christ his life because he will be the perfect sacrifice. He will be, as we've been seeing, the Lamb of God who will take upon everyone's will take upon himself everyone's sin. That is the gospel. If we accept that, we accept our sinfulness and our need to be reformed. It is an ongoing process. And so the gospel is awkward because it asks us to confront sin, just as Peter did with the folks that wanted to celebrate the miracle of the lame man. We should do likewise in our own lives and not be afraid to confront and be willing to put Christ on the throne of our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great miracle. But I thank you for the faithfulness of Peter and John that even though it was going to get really awkward, they were willing to bring up the issue of sin. To point out the sin of each person that was there. I thank you, Lord, that they were willing to do that. But I also thank you that the the end of their presentation was not just a brow beating. It was also the offer of grace. It was the offer of forgiveness. Lord, help us to handle this stuff rightly. Help us not to cheapen your grace. Help us not to be carnal Christians just wanting you to be our Savior but not our Lord. Lord, I invite you to work by your Holy Spirit in my life, showing and convicting me of the areas of my life that need to be transformed so that I can become more like you. Help me not to shy away from my sinfulness, but to have a godly sorrow, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance that leaves no regrets. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
God bless you all.